This episode of Troxel is supported by Arc Vision. Save 5% off anything and everything, including any type of license of the just-released Rhino version 8 when you buy from arcvision.com store and use code TRXL at checkout. That's A-R-C-H-V-I-S-I-O-N dot com slash store and use code TRXL at checkout and save 5% off your entire order. Just make sure you do it before December 31st, 2023. This episode is brought to you by Troxel Plus Membership. Learn about the benefits of membership and get your limited time launch offer savings at trxl.co slash launch 20. There's no spaces in that trxl.co slash launch 20. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. In this episode, I welcome Nicolas Catelier. Nicolas is an architect, BIM specialist, and founder of RevitPure.com. He started using Revit in 2011 and quickly became passionate about BIM. He worked at Atelier 21 Architects for almost 10 years, where he participated as a designer and BIM manager on multiple large-scale projects. In 2021, he went full-time on his business, BIM Pure Productions, where he teaches Revit and acts as a BIM consultant for a wide variety of AEC firms. Nicolas also teaches a BIM optimization course at the Limalu College in Quebec City, Canada, and he's been featured as a speaker at multiple conferences, including Autodesk University, Built, and BIM Quebec Group. In today's conversation, we discuss his shift from working in the profession as an architect and BIM manager to becoming an entrepreneur, digital content creator, and BIM consultant. We talk about his current and future endeavors, including his next course and his ongoing YouTube live show to understand what's involved in self-producing, launching, and promoting his efforts in content creation and delivery in the architectural industry. And speaking of Nick's BIM Pure live show, if you're listening to this episode right when it's coming out, you can catch me on that show tomorrow, November 29th, 2023 at noon Pacific time. There's a link to it in the show notes of this episode, so you can set a reminder when it's happening or watch a replay afterward. This was a fantastic conversation about topics that are near and dear to me. And so without further ado, I bring you Nicolas Catelier. Nicola, welcome. Is that is that the way I should say it? Nicola? Yes. Okay. Yeah, th- that's good. I'm gonna say Nick that. works as well. Or <laughs> okay. Nicholas is fine. All all variants works for me. All right. Nick, Nicholas, Nicola. Welcome. <laughs> welcome back to the Choxel Podcast. We've had our, our share of technical difficulties today. And so we're doing this yeah. again. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Turns out everything. No, it's gonna be fine now. It's gonna be fine you know? now. Yeah, this time. Yeah. I mean, we've already warmed up the conversation. So I love what you're doing. I love the the live stream. You're also doing consulting. You're doing uh, products. You're selling courses. You've got a lot going on. And so maybe you can introduce yourself to my audience if they haven't heard of you and your show and all those things and how you've gotten from where you started in AEC to where you are now. Sure. Yes. I'm a trained and licensed architect based in Quebec City, Canada. I, when I first got in the workplace, 
uh, the firm that hired me was already doing Revit and BIM back in mm-hmm. 2011. And I started working on some pretty complex project, like historic renovation. And I got good at Revit quite quickly. Uh, then I moved to another city and like to try to better my chance of being hired at this uh, at a firm. I tried to put my BIM skills at the forefront of my mm-hmm. uh, my uh, my CV of my resume. Mm-hmm. And, and so the firm that hired me, I promised them I will help you transition from CAD to Revit. So that was one of my pitch, like to help me get hired, and yeah. it. I, I think it worked and I did a transition and it went well. It was about a 25 people firm with, you know, lots of old timers that have been using cats forever and were a bit hesitant to jump to BIM, but uh, we did it and it went well. And after I became a licensed architect in 2014, 2015, I started to think, okay, what's next? You know, now that I had, I finished all my exams. It's like I needed a new challenge. And right. when the, in the course of the transition, CAD to BIM transition, I've started creating content for my teammates because they didn't like these super thick Revit books. Oh, it was yeah. too much for them. Right. And I started creating learning content. And a few colleagues of mine told me, well, that content is pretty good. You know, maybe you should put it online or something. And yeah, I was trying to with that idea in my mind and in 2016 i launched launched this uh this blog this revit learning website called revit pure and that has been going on uh, since the last seven years now at first it was a side project and in 20 the beginning of 2021 i quit my job and went full-time as a bim consultant and content creator so during that time, though, like you had been building an audience, like there had to be a, a comfort level that you had achieved to quit your job and feel like you were able to sustain a business, right? And so, I mean, you're, it, it's interesting to me that this started out as a side project and mm-hmm. it ended up becoming the project, right? And, yeah. and so yeah. like that it doesn't just go from one to the other overnight. So what, what was the, how long you, you, you said some dates there. You said, you know, you started in 2011, you moved to another firm in 2016, mm-hmm. you launched the blog and you said in 2020 or was it 2021? You started the Revit pure. The, or, uh, the, 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 started... the YouTube stuff. Well, Revit Pure started in in 2016 uh, okay. as as a blog at first, and right. then with uh, some videos as well, but like kind of more pre-recorded videos. Okay. And in at the late, the first live show that I did was late 2020. Okay. And so basically a few months before I decided to go full time. Wow, wow. And, and so, so that is not an overnight thing, right? Like, there's a lot going on yeah. in there, and you're mm-hmm. diversifying. You're you're adding. And I, and I, I'm, I'm interested to hear like if you masterminded all of those things up front, or if this was an organic thing that happened, just one thing after another, based on feedback and input and your own ideas about where you thought this should go. It was completely organic. There was no uh, master plan. I would say for the first three years of Rivet Pure, it was I was mostly doing uh, content, probably more aimed at like beginner intermediate level users 
mm-hmm. uh, through the blog and started selling courses as well. And somewhere in 2019, I attended the Build conference and someone told me, oh, you're the guy from Revit Pure. Well, how come you, you know, you, we don't see your face and we don't really see your name anywhere on the website? And I realized, yeah, that's true that I, I've set up everything right. to be not anonymous, but I didn't showcase myself a lot. Uh-huh. And then at, at that moment, and I was speaking at Build and I had a great time. I decided to be, to try to participate at more conferences, uh, local conferences. And that's when I had the first, I thought it would be nice to do some sort of live streaming uh, podcast or something. So it, it took um, maybe one more year before I get that started. But the, the seed was planted. It's interesting that you have transitioned from Revit Pure to BIM Pure, right? And mm-hmm. the the Revit Technology Conference has transitioned to Built, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's because it's an ecosystem. It's not just about one product, but that one product yeah. is a big product, right? And it has name recognition and it becomes a thing that people search for specifically, right? And so you got to get your keywords right in the titles, right? As we know, as content creators, right? So it's interesting to me to see that happen, uh, you know, from the sidelines, but also for you to make that decision to switch. And obviously there's, there's trademarks and there's all those kind of sticky things in there as well. But, but to go to BIM Pure Live and and on your website too, BIM Pure, right? For your consulting services and for your courses and all those things. Have you gone beyond Revit or is it still very Revit focused? Uh, well, there's the main website is still uh, RevitPure.com for, uh, okay. for the courses. So like the transition is ongoing. And, you know, for, like if you have a blog, it's very hard to transition, to move totally. a blog to another URL. And yeah. uh, RevitPure gets a lot of organic traffic. There's like more than 2,000 uh, visitors that come through Google on the blog mm-hmm. each day. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a bit hard to switch the URL completely. But in... Overall, I'm working on a new subscription-based platform for all the courses that's going mm-hmm. to be at BIM Pure, but it's still ongoing. It's not finalized. Yeah. But yeah, for, from the get-go, when I started doing consulting in 2021, it's clear that I wouldn't do it under the name of Revit Pure because it's, I'm not just doing Revit. And of course, anyway, you don't want to use a trademark in you know for a consulting business like this. Right. Uh, but uh, actually, at... The, at when I got started with uh, Pure, the company was registered. The business was registered under BIM Pure Productions for a couple of reasons. One of them, I thought to myself, if Autodesk ever sends me some sort of letter, well, I'll be ready for, for the next move. And I know some people got in trouble with that, with Autodesk. So, But Autodesk, are, they've been nice to most content creators, but it's like they tolerate it. Like if they decided, they could uh, decide to shut down your website, basically. Yeah, I mean, they they recognize the value that you provide yeah. on one level and on another level. Yeah, you got to be careful <laughs> because they're giant <laughs> exactly. and you are not. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So so you have gone through this progression of and and not not really like from one thing to another in an evolutionary kind of way, but you've added on to your platform over time. And the thing that underlies that completely is why you do what you do. So maybe before we get into more of the other stuff that you you are doing, like why Revit? Why why was this? You, you said you you gave a hint. I think you know, like this this became it was like a natural thing for you in the progression mm-hmm. of becoming an architect, or right after you became an architect, and 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 so what 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 do you get out of this? Like the there's got to be 
something that's really driving you because because I can tell just with your energy and with what you're what you're bringing to the table that you're passionate about this. What what is that all about? I think I always had a big passion for tech as long as I can remember mm. when I was. There's a picture of me when I'm like four or five years old playing at the old Macintosh computer, and so that was always a big interest. And then when I started in architecture school, I remember the first time we've tried FormZ. Mm -hmm. On the second semester, I, mm -hmm. I was hooked. You know, yeah. even it, it crashed all the time. Like when I wouldn't use the software again, but I was like fascinated by uh, by that tech and spent probably a bit too much time like just playing around FormZ. And I, time that I should <clears throat> probably have been better spent refining the design instead. <laughs> and I'm, so I'm very I, much I, like you. I've <laughs> gone down all these other rabbit holes and pathways to like visual effects and animation, yeah. a lot of stuff that never really technically applied to project stuff in architecture, yeah. but it's just so interesting learning after effects and compositing and video editing. And a lot of that serves me well now. And I can speak that language, which is really important when I have a visualization expert come on from neoscape or something like that and and they want to we talk about rendering pipelines and materials and the, how you build up all the layers of materials at the same time it's like i probably should have spent that time doing something <laughs> a little bit different yeah. more focused on architecture but it, it's kind of interesting where you just kind of start going down these pathways not knowing where they're going to lead but you're just doing it because of the pure enjoyment of it yeah exactly and you know as an architect you're always trained as a generalist but when I, I started working, you know, the first few years, even it was when I was hired as a BIM manager to help firm transition, you know, it was a medium-sized firm. So that was part of my job, but I was doing everything else as well. And and I was doing like design work and so on. But I, what I realized at some point, it was a designer I was working with. And for that designer, she just made a quick squat, sketch and came up with an amazing design in a few minutes. And for me, I did enjoy doing the design work and I'm proud right. of many designs I did, but it, it takes me so much time to create a good design. Like I'm super slow with it. And so it was not frustrating, but I would see that designer work so quickly. And it was the other way around when it came to tech and it yeah, came to Revit and using BIM. I was super right. fast and I could, I enjoy teaching and helping my, my coworkers with Revit and with BIM. And like for that, you know, power designer, she was struggling with the tech and she didn't like it very much, in fact. And so, and I remember one of my college professor who specialized in energy analysis as an architect that I remember she, she said that uh, architects should specialize more, you know, they should accept their, when they realize they're really good at something, they should specialize in that. We need more specialists in architecture. So I, I remember that when, you know, it was time to take some decisions with my career. When I started mm -hmm. thinking about doing consulting, at first I was hesitant about it. I was like, I'm going to miss doing design work or, you know, all of the parts, regular parts of the architecture. But I realized that we need, and in BIM consulting, I think we need more, more architects because I think it's important that you understand everything about a project. So let's a BIM consultant that is, doesn't have architecture training can do a lot for sure. But I think it's a little extra and an asset if I'm being, if I know about architecture and I am an architect when yeah. doing that BIM consulting work. 
I totally agree. It's the same thing in school, right? Like you want to learn from architects when you're in school because mm. you want to gain. There's a difference between data and knowledge and and wisdom, right? And you've got data, which is just kind of like the raw pieces and parts. Then you've got the knowledge, which is like, okay, well, here's kind of maybe, you know, a, a workflow. But then there's the wisdom part, which is like through hard fought experiences, here's what doesn't work. Here's what does work. Here's why it works. You know, and, and, and a good example of that, that I've heard is just like fire hot, like that's data, right? Wisdom is okay. Well, here's all the ways you can use fire. You can internal combustion engines, cooking, like, and, and it's different applications and very different workflows that it used to achieve those outcomes. And it's interesting to me to, for, to hear that from you too, because I agree, like we need, I think we need more architects everywhere. Like architects are just mm -hmm. amazing problem solvers. we learn how to solve or we know how to do that. We kind of don't care what the challenge is. And so if you find a passion, a, a, a particularly satisfying way to provide an outlet for that, that skill set, that is a great way to specialize in something, right? And it doesn't mean you have to do that just for the rest of your life, right? You could pick a new one every few years or 10 years or something, but at the same time, like it's super valuable to have that kind of a mindset applied in different ways, right? Just like you became a great collaborator for that designer and she valued what you added and you valued what she did, right? And you guys were able to work together, I, I assume, to create a great outcome. Yeah. That to me is like, there is a point I think where the when the wisdom's getting applied, that's where you kind of step back into generalist, right? Because you have to connect the dots between all these different things, but it's great to go to kind of fluctuate between generalist and specialist uh, in, in different ways throughout your career too, because you can really get deep into something where your passion lies. And then you can step back and teach people how that applies to all the other things that are kind of floating adjacently around it. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, completely. And when, you know, as a consultant, I have a variety of clients. I'm working with the wood industry mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And with public sector clients, I also have a few architects. And when I, whenever I, I work with architects, it's the easiest for me because it's like I can read their mind. I know what they're obsessed about. <laughs> I know what they really you care. Know what that they care about, yeah. I, I know that they want their drawings to look good. So it's yeah, working with architects, it's it's pretty easy. And then when you work with other people, I'm working with the prefab wood shop, for example. Mm. then, ha, huh, it's a little different. They don't necessarily have the same priorities. They don't think exactly the same way. So I get to see multiple mindsets. Yeah, and then you can apply that back when you talk to an architect who's working on a project that might use a system like that to add value to their process where it's going to be a better outcome because you know about this other thing, right? I think that, that that's key. It, I love that you brought that up. Let's talk about where this courses and where the live show come into play, right? Because consulting is one thing and that's like one-on-one -on -one, it's trading hours for dollars. Right. And then there's this other level of, um, value that you can add to the industry in these other, other ways by providing something that you put in the time for, and then hundreds or thousands of people can then get value out of that. Are you planning on getting software before the year ends? Maybe you need to use your budget in 2023 or want to upgrade to something new like the just released Rhino version 8. 
Rhino 8 introduces amazing new tools for architectural design. One standout feature is the push-pull tools, which are incredibly powerful and even work on curved surfaces. The new inset command and auto seaplane tools enhance the architectural modeling experience. There are also new features like auto-updating clipping section drawings, shrink wrap, which is amazing for 3D printing, and new display types, including a fast and beautiful built-in render engine. Rhino also now supports new Grasshopper data types, and bonus, upgrades from any older version of Rhino are currently 33% off for a limited time. By purchasing anything at arcvision.com store and using the code TRXL at checkout, you can not only support Droxel, but you'll also get 5% off your order. ArcVision is an authorized reseller of Rhino, SketchUp, Enscape, V-Ray, and more. So whether you're a student, an individual practitioner, or part of a firm with multiple licenses, if you're looking to buy architectural software before the end of 2023, visit arcvision.com store and use code TRXL at checkout and save 5% off your order. The link will also be in the show notes. I know you've thought about that. So like, like talk about that part of bringing information and knowledge and your wisdom back into AEC through these kind of on-demand courses and the live stream show and, and YouTube and things like that. Yeah, to me, consulting and content work together. Like, so consulting inspire my content work and the mm -hmm. other way around as well. And I think if, if, I, was, if I was not doing consulting, like I'm, I'm worried I would run out of ideas for videos and so on. But like currently with all the consulting I'm doing, I'm constantly facing new novel problems that I have to solve every single day. Mm. So that's generate a lot of ideas for the content. And something else is just, I think at some point I understood, started to understand the, the power, the leverage of doing content when compared to consulting. Mm. So consulting, like, like for example, this morning I was doing one-on-one -on -one training, which I love doing, but it's, you give an hour and the person receives one hour. With content, you give one hour and let's say that someone watched a YouTube video, there are a thousand views. So it's, you multiplied your leverage by a thousand when compared mm. to doing consulting. Mm -hmm. So of, of course, consulting, it's maybe a little more customized while content maybe it doesn't directly solve their, their exact situation, but still, even considering that, like the leverage is, it's pretty powerful. So to me, it's almost like I, I feel like I have, when you know that and knowing that I have the audience for it, it would be crazy not to do content mm -hmm. if you realize that leverage mm -hmm. and realize that's the way I can be most helpful for the industry. And you can do that in a very public way, like you are. But you can also do it inside a firm, right? And and to mm, me, yeah. that is where the ball gets dropped so much in our profession, in this industry, is a lack of ability to see that value. Because if you saw that value, you can execute on it very easily, right? It does not take mm. much to do a screen recording with somebody talking over it and then posting that on an intranet to deliver similar value to what you're talking about to your people and your culture. And yet, like, it doesn't happen, right? It just doesn't mm -hmm. really happen. And I think that that is such an, in, I'm, I've always been interested in this, like that I've, I've been in on a team that was in charge of implementing an intranet for that very reason, right? For knowledge capture and sharing and searchability, 
And I think it comes back to kind of the way that people value or don't value their time. It's like, yes, we build dollars for hours in a service industry like architecture, right? And so our time is worth money. But at the same time, like we'll work 60 hours, 80 hours and bill for 40 on a pro, you know, per week on a project because that that's what it takes to be profitable in many cases, right? To quote unquote, be profitable on paper in many cases. Um, And there's no more time left over to teach and to capture and to post and to categorize and catalog this kind of stuff. It's really an interesting conundrum that we're in. And, and because of that, like if I go approach a senior architect with a question about a wall assembly, I get that one-on-one time, how much more valuable would that have been if it could have been shared with everybody? And, and so like you see this opportunity in the AEC industry. I see this opportunity in the AEC industry. The whole point of this podcast is for more people to tune into a conversation exactly like this so that more people can hear it and share with these ideas, share them with other people, reply, communicate, you know, send me an email, send me feedback, send me a tweet, whatever those things are to continue that conversation. And, and yet like our industry just it struggles with this so much. I, talk a, b- a little bit more about that from your point of view and like the value maybe even of, of your live show where people can actually interact with you while you're doing it. And then people can obviously come back later and still watch that content. But I, I love this idea of leverage and value and, and how you're, you, how you really see that and why that's important. Yeah. Uh, like just quickly to come back to something you mentioned, you mentioned internally at a firm too. It's true. I've been working with firms and I, I'm trying to get them to use like for onboarding, for example, or training, right? Like to use, I like Loom mm-hmm. and there's, you can get a free account at Loom to record your screen. It takes about one minute. You don't have to export a video. We can just send a link mm-hmm. and to use that with the database. You can use Notion. You can use something else too, but combine that together. And instead of constantly doing one-on-one with your teammates, you can quickly record a few videos and that's content. It's internal content, but it's still content. Yeah. And let's say there are even 10 views of Volume videos. Well, it's that might not seem like much, but it's you still leverage your time by 10. It's 10x, right? Right. right? yeah, right. And there's people who are just going to have downtime and they're going to, I mean, architecture in particular is a profession where you're always learning and people just love learning, right? In architecture mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And so there are going to be, be people who just would open up those videos during lunchtime or and just go through them and, and just, sponge it up right because it is going to influence them in a bet for better to do something i would think uh over time so there's there's a ton of kind of value to be unlocked in in stuff like that and yet it just it's so hard to get people to actually do it because we're all so perfectionists we also want it to look really good we want it to sound really good and but but a loom video it could be it's more about the content than the presentation of the content by far yeah Totally. You know, it, it depends on the medium. For example, I wouldn't certainly use Loom for a video that I put on YouTube. I would try to refine it a little more. But for internal content, like a quick video, a screencast, it's it's perfect. It's all you need, I think. Yeah. And go, going back to the, the live aspect you mentioned. So I had, until 2019, all of my content was pre-recorded. But in 2019, I started teaching a course in a local college here. I started attending conferences both uh, international in in 
local conferences as well. Mm-hmm. And my words, the words uh, started opening a little bit and got bigger because I started meeting people. When you speak publicly, you realize that people start contacting you and asking questions and you get to start meeting a lot of interesting people. And so that's when I think I first had the idea of a live show. Mm. I would have these one-on-one conversation with people. I'm saying, wow, that's, or they would show me something on screen. Like, that's really amazing. I wish more people could see it. And so it took me a while, but eventually in late 2020, I started doing a live show. The first episode was just by myself. So it was similar to the videos I was already doing, but doing it live mm-hmm. instead of pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. And so at first it was like, let's try one or a couple of episodes and, and let's see, maybe it's something I'll do a few times a year. But I've had a blast doing it and people were showing up both live and watching the replay. And, you know, it's like to give, like to put into perspective with Rivet Pure, I managed to get a pretty big email list. So getting the show started and, you know, a decent size YouTube channel as well. So I already had some leverage to get a decent viewership when I got started. You know, starting completely from scratch doing live might have been a bit harder. Mm-hmm. So I already had uh, an audience to get started. So that helped a lot too. That's cool. What kinds of stuff do you share on that? I'd love for you to tell the audience. I know you've had some recent videos that I've particularly enjoyed. You had one with Tim Fu and uh, talking about AI and image generation, design generation in architecture. But I mean, it really is kind of a show and tell, right? YouTube's a great platform for you because there's a lot of showing and conversation. And so it's a Mm -hmm. very visual in in that regard. And you're sharing Revit stuff and you're sharing rendering stuff, you know? So talk about that, that side of it, because I think that, that it makes a lot of sense, but give people an idea of the kinds of things that you're sharing on there. Yeah, well, since I already had you know a decent size YouTube channel, my first instinct was I got to do something on YouTube. So I didn't even think of now. In retrospect, maybe I should have put them on the podcast platform. But right now, none of my live show are; they're only on YouTube. And and also, there's a big visual aspects. I yeah. like to say that my show is kind of a mix between a webinar and a podcast. Mm. Depends. Some episodes they're more uh, we'll we'll spend more time talking, but most episodes there's yeah, a webinar-ish version. I don't really like the word webinar, by the way. So I I never use it. <laughs> right. But I would just say a live session. But like the, someone is presenting on the screen. Let's put it that way. Yeah, presentation. Showcasing. There you go. And I, I would say the first, probably the first year or uh, was mostly focused on Revit workflows. So just someone who's a Revit schedule specialist come on the show and talk about it or Revit mm. landscape specialist. So I was trying to f- pick out the experts like the niche Revit experts on a wide variety of topics. So they would explain, uh, talk about specific topics. Right. But then I also, every once in a while, I got uh, guests that were not necessarily Revit experts. So for example, uh, Clifton Harness, who I think you had on the show to talk about TestFit and uh, other people talking like about the good computers for BIM. And I was enjoying this conversation too. Yeah. And for example, the last season I did, which I renamed the show from Revit Pure Live to BIM Pure Live, I think there was one episode that was mostly focused on Revit. And all the others I wanted to expand a little bit. Yeah. So we talked about uh, generative AI, a discussion with Martin Day about the future of BIM, right. another one which is about onboarding and company culture, 
So I'm, I'm trying to expand a little bit. I realize a lot of people are mostly interested, or I got started talking about Revit and showcasing Revit. So I'm, I'm trying not to steer too far away from it. Uh -huh. But I'm very curious to see where the industry go is going. I'm mostly following my passion. Yeah. And if I'm interested in something, I think ah, it's going to make a good live show. Yeah, I, they're they're definitely. I, I gl I'm glad to hear you say that because like there, there's definitely the risk that you could go down the rabbit hole of just responding to the feedback that you get in the comments on YouTube, which could mm -hmm. be all over the place, right? <laughs> it could be. Yeah. I, and and like you said, uh, people subscribed early because of the type of content, and you don't want to let them down and 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 just go in a different mm -hmm. direction. But there is a bigger ecosystem, and you even acknowledge that by renaming your show right to BIM Pure mm -hmm. Live rather than Revit Pure Live. So th there's all of these other things, tools, people, workflows, um, ways of thinking about things that influence how. AEC works. And so I, I, I totally get why you're doing what you're doing because it, it, it's important to acknowledge that there's a lot of other ways to do things rather than just in the one tool anyway. And the, the one tool to rule them all is rarely the best tool to do any one of the things, right? It's, it's hard for the tool maker to, as we have all witnessed, it's hard to make that really good in every way, right? As a designer, like yeah. I don't want to use Revit to design. I, period. I just don't, mm -hmm. right? Because it forces yeah. me to make decisions that I'm not ready to make at the early stages yeah. of design, just to Completely. state it very plainly up front, right? So uh, while there are other people who are so deep in that one tool, they don't understand how, why you would possibly, quote unquote, waste your time translating from one file type to another or from one tool to another. Um, but they're also not the ones doing that job, right? So it, these are the kinds of things that we're constantly weighing in AEC and, and kind of, you know, there's, there's different, uh, currents in different directions, kind of, kind of competing or, or, or not, you know, coalescing together. It, it's interesting as we kind of try to navigate all that in AEC. And, and I think it's great to just have these conversations publicly like that to me is really mm -hmm. the value of what you're doing. What I'm trying to do with this show is to bring it up to the consciousness level, right? <laughs> like let's acknowledge, let's talk through these things because it's important to talk about them out loud. And even if you don't agree with what somebody is saying, or it's not exactly the content that you originally signed up for, it's still adding value to the ecosystem because it's not just about that one person. Yeah, for sure. Even in the live, you know, most, I have, I think a very smart audience, at least from what I can of see on the chat, yeah, they ask sure. very good questions. Mm -hmm. It's like lots of like BIM manager experts and they're, they seem to be by nature, very curious uh, people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So of course, when, when I do a show about something that is not about Revit, maybe I will get less viewers, but like the, the amount of fun I have and the quality of the discussion on the YouTube comments, uh, the, the live comments is, is as good because uh, these people are still curious and they want to learn about the future of industry and right. exploring the new tools. And you know, it's it's a bit of a wild time. I'm trying to figure out what what's coming. And you know, we also talked to Martin Day about the, the future of BIM. Right. You know, is is Revit still going to be the, the main player in ten years? I think it's completely up in the air at this point. I don't know. I've read a lot about it. I, I tried to speculate about it, but it's uh, unclear to me. Sure. What is the future? Right. 
Right. Well, one thing that I don't think we've talked about in this session, but I would love to get into is that transition from working in practice to working for yourself. And because I think people are, would be interested in knowing how you did that, right? Because you, one thing you, I think is really hard to do is to work in the profession and do this amazing amount of content creation on the side, you know, and I put that in air mm -hmm. quotes, the whole side hustle thing, like we already work ourselves to death. Right. So, um, I know that you're not, you, you made a switch. And so can you talk mm -hmm. through like what it took to, for you to r realize that switch that it you were able to sustain yourself in that way? Because we talked a little bit about the diversification, right? You've, you're doing several different things to, to keep the business sustaining. And like you said, there's kind of a feedback loop going on in there. The things that you're doing in consulting are informing what you're doing on the show and in the blog and in the content creation and you're, you're, you've got this great little system set up, but what was it that triggered the actual switch where you actually did quit from practice and go off into doing what you're doing now? Yeah, there are uh, a few things like the, the, the first course that I released in 2017, uh, I made a couple of thousands of dollars, which felt nice, but mm -hmm. not enough to be self-sustaining. Fast forward a couple of years later, mm. in 2019, I, I mean, more from selling courses than I did as an architect on, on my day job. Uh, even with that, you know, I was being so conservative and <laughs> with it that it took me two more years until I had enough courage to quit my job. That, that t does take a lot of courage, right? Like it's, yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with that because it's, there's always the what if like, uh, and, and there's mm -hmm. always architecture is very cyclical, right? And there's, there's good times and there's bad times and there's, you know, recessions and then, and then there's, you know, huge amounts of backlog and we, we kind of see that. And so maybe, maybe during a downtime in, in architecture, but you're still employed, it gives you the opportunity to do some of this other stuff, but then now you're, you've you've diversified yourself in so much that it's hard to pick which direction you want to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I, it's interesting to hear a success story in that switch. And a lot of people do it, but uh, uh, what you're doing specifically interests me because I think a lot of people could be and should be creating information, knowledge, wisdom sharing for the industry, but they're really, you know, they're, they're either working for a startup or they're working for an architecture firm. And that takes all of the time. And, and mm -hmm. for you to create a course on the side while you're working in a firm, that's a big, heavy lift for a lot of people mm -hmm. to be able to do. How did you pull that part of it off to even get started down this road? Yeah. Yeah. When, when I got started thinking about it, I was, you know, I'm mean, surprised I was this disciplined. But uh, I remember waking up at like 5.30 and working like 30 to 45 minutes every morning to, cr uh, to create my first course and to create content for Red Pure. And I did that for a while. I, will, I should also mention there are probably some political reasons, believe it or not, that it helped me. I'm, I live in Canada, in Canada, Quebec specifically, and we have right. a pretty uh, generous uh, parental leave. So when I had my first daughter... I could take a couple of months off, which I, I took most of the time to take care of her, of course. But during her naps, I, I could work on on uh, Revit Pure as well. And I would use that time to create some more content. Mm -hmm. 
Every employer is so a that nightmare. Every employer is <laughs> a nightmare right there. It's like, <laughs> I thought we had them locked up in this contract. But but yeah, I mean, if, if somebody has this hunger to do this stuff, they can't stop it, right? And and yeah. I mean, I actually think the industry is better for it. I think that's another important thing to recognize for some employers out there. It's like, if you've got somebody who's so motivated to make this stuff, like it's, it's, it may not be good for you specifically in that moment, but it is good in a, in a larger picture sense. This episode is brought to you this week by Troxel Plus membership. You should become a Troxel Plus member today. Members get some great perks. For instance, you get an ad-free version of the podcast and the show notes, and you can listen to your ad-free feed in whatever podcast app you already use. You'll also get the show notes sent directly to your inbox without ads, which includes all of the links to what we talk about during the episodes, so you'll never miss a thing. The biggest thing about becoming a member is that you'll be directly supporting the reason this show exists, which is to capture long-form conversations with my guests from the architectural community and beyond to have a positive impact on the present and future of the profession. The ad market is pretty bad right now. The podcast would not exist without our members. And for those of you who are one, I am very thankful. So for those of you who are hearing this on the public feed, I hope you'll consider it. For a limited time, there's a special launch offer at trxl.co slash launch 20. You can check that link in the show notes to get a nice discount if you sign up for the annual membership option. That's trxl.co slash launch 20, no spaces in there, for a limited time. I'm so thankful for our members, and I hope you'll become one of them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, I did that. And I think like even quitting your job, like in Canada, I don't, I talked to friends in the U S and like, well, you know, uh, healthcare insurance and all mm, that. It's hard. And yeah. it's not something I have to worry about really here mm. because of the healthcare is covered by the government. So I think it, it helped. Maybe there are a few more structures here that I am. I'm lucky to have mm. uh, that yeah. made it a bit easier to, uh, to quit my job and start my own business. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think that 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 is a good point that you bring up because, yeah, I mean, healthcare is expensive in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if yeah, you exactly. have to pay for it yourself, that that's a big deal. But and, but and even then, you know the, but even then, by twenty twenty one, like the the uh, you know revenue generated by the the courses, and I started doing some side consulting. I think even in the U.S., it would have probably worked. So uh, I cannot all say it's because of where I live. Yeah, but. Overall, I mean, it sounds to me like you're extremely happy with the just decision that you've made and yeah. the organic growth or the changes, maybe not just growth, because there's, there's a lot of people who are totally obsessed with, with just pure growth and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. But you've navigated this and you seem like a really down to earth person and you're not too worried about numbers. I, I'm really interested kind of in that side of things as well, because we have all seen podcasts and youtube channels and things with with millions of viewers right but to your mm -hmm. point earlier when you said you know you could trade an hour for an hour you give an hour somebody gets mm -hmm. an hour or you could give an hour and a thousand people could watch it and there's that whole idea uh that kevin kelly said a long time ago about having 1000 true fans yeah. uh, you, you're aware of that right and, and yeah, yeah i'm uh, i'm aware of it yeah they'll follow you wherever you go and and consume whatever you make because they're they're fanatical like that's the that's where fan comes from right like that they they're all in and those those people might leave and more might come in and take their place but 
you don't need a ton of people to sustain the kind of thing that that you're doing. I, I'm interested to hear what you think about the whole numbers game when it comes to audience and content creation and views and all those things. Yeah, I remember reading about uh, 1000 True Fans by Kevin Kelly. It's a short blog article you can read it in a few minutes. And it's basically, yeah, if you, if you have 1000 True Fans, you can live uh, financially, you should be okay. Yeah. Right. Because you have these thousands of people, whatever you release, a course, a book, whatever, they'll just get it because they're a fan of the work that you do. Right. And so that's something I've kept in mind. For example, I think almost every single day, maybe you get that too, but people ask me, hey, can we uh, advertise something on their website or would like to do some a sponsorship? So I did sponsorship for the live show specifically. Right. But other than that, like Revit Pure website, there are no ads. I don't mm -hmm. want ads. Like already sell the courses, there's no point. So I've like for sure I try to avoid anything that would have been a quick making a quick buck. Like I release it long term. And you know, putting ads everywhere is definitely not not part of my plan. Having, you know, a sponsorship with companies that I trust for extremely specific things like the live show, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But even that, that's not, you know, the the main uh, the main part part of the growth. I'm trying to keep it mostly to the courses. So the, the quality is the, the content. And that's where I put the most energy. And I'm trying not to get, let's say, corrupted. But you know what I mean regarding if, if there was too many ads and too many sponsors on everything I do. Yeah, it's good to have guardrails on that, right? And, and your mm -hmm. audience trusts you to... Exactly curate the right people for them to hear from too right and yeah, so exactly they they want to trust you and you want to bring them value right and so it like that idea of corrupting that it can definitely happen right if, if it's just mm -hmm. becomes all about that but i think this gets back to why you do what you do and why you do what mm -hmm. you do is more important than these kinds of transactions right like you want to deliver something to more people in a bigger way than you could do without doing this and it does cost money to do it right at the same time another thing i'll add is that like i feel like the architectural community in general is pretty cheap right so it's like the the <laughs> the, the, the tools that we use we want to stick with them for a very long time the subscription yeah. models bugged a lot of people right where they feel like they're just continually paying mm -hmm. um and so it's important to acknowledge that as well i just and i don't mean cheap as in a, in a derogatory way but it's just like they're thrifty right the the <laughs> architects don't make a lot of money right i mean no. there are a lot of architects doing just fine but recent graduates make very little compared to their counterparts in other professions right so uh I, this is something that you know we, we struggle with as well i think as as an industry so uh, you do have to pay for the things that you're making. And so advertising is definitely a viable way to do it. I'm sure there's tons of people out there who hate ads, but at the same time, like, and so actually, interestingly, let's segue into this whole new idea that you've got with the subscription based stuff. So you're, yeah. you're, you're toying or you are, you are moving in this direction. You're not toying with it. You yeah. are doing it. So talk about that shift because before yeah. you've sold courses, right. And I assume that's kind of like buy once, get it forever kind of a thing, right. Access. Yeah. Um, and so now you're shifting to a new model. Why, why do that? And how does that change what you're doing? Yeah, well, it's not yet available. So people can still, uh, at the moment of uh, recording this, uh, purchase courses 
uh, individually on the Revit Pure website. Mm -hmm. But I've been thinking for so long of launching a subscription service. Mm -hmm. I've thought about it for years. One of the challenges, it feels like you constantly have to add uh, content, right? If it's a subscription, it can right. be aesthetic. But at the same time, I have had content that like it wouldn't make sense to like sell as an individual course. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what, or maybe it's a small piece of content. So like, how do I even market it? And then when you sell courses, there's always a question of launch. You constantly have to launch courses. And when you update, you launch, and then there are promotions. And I'm kind of bored of it. <laughs> and I would rather spend energy creating content than doing marketing for a launch and launch and launch. Wits get, yeah, it gets boring after a while. If it's a subscription, it's like, well, if you want to get our content, just subscribe. And that, that's it. There's uh, one price point, and you get all Vimpure content, period. So is it, so there's is it a, a simplicity shift? aspect. Is it a shift in like the type of content? It's what it sounds like it is to me. You're you're shifting from, because creating a course is not an easy task. It's a it's a huge amount of production, recording, planning, launching, marketing, promotion, all those things. Like that and that and it it's kind of this self-encapsulated thing. And versus kind of the subscription thing, what I'm hearing from you is that it's more like now you can just focus on creating content and not worrying so much about that all of that stuff as intensely for such a long period of time, you can actually spend more of your time making the thing that people want to consume. And it doesn't have to be this big giant course, right? It can be little pieces, more esoteric stuff, more <laughs> connecting this to that. And maybe they've got those tools, maybe they don't, but their eyes are now open to that. It just seems like I, it's a very interesting idea. I, I'd love to hear kind of your thought process behind it. When I started Revit Pure, I had ideas for four courses. I had this vision, you know, each different topics, each with their color team and so on. And I thought, huh, maybe like in a year, I can have all of four courses released. And then mm -hmm. it took me like a year and a half to release the first one. Then another two years to release the second one. It takes forever. Creating these courses, these big courses, it takes so long. They're it's, big. It's big, pretty big wild. Deal. Yeah. And now I'm working on a new course about Revit families. And I think it's going to be my last huge course that like mm. covers like in depth. And yeah, it, it took so long to create. Um, uh, it, it's too long. And I'd rather work on small chunks. And for example, release the course by, by dripping. Here's the, the part about uh, creating doors and windows family. And it's basically mini courses. So I'm launching this. Maybe not final, but for the moment, at least, yes. This is the last time for a while I do a huge course. But then after that, I want to release mini chunks, mini courses. And one of the plans is also work to, with other people. You know, right now on Revit Pure, all the content is by myself. And by doing the live sessions, I've realized that uh, I feel it would be really interesting to take ideas of other people and try to format it. I realize I'm pretty good at formatting content so it's easy to digest mm -hmm. easy to absorb it's visually appealing so take content from other people and taking uh, charge of the presentation but taking the, the ideas from other bim experts so i want to work with other people as well and you know new content released every month or so so that's right. part of it and also doing uh live sessions and q a's on, on the platform mm -hmm. 
it sounds to me like you got kind of bored with doing the one thing and not not that every course is the same but but that work style is the same right mm -hmm. it's like do a big project this is how architects work right do a big project and then we move on to the next pro project and it's really mm -hmm. hard to even take a time to completely shift into a different mode of marketing and promotion right like that is a very yeah. tall order for one person to do that cycle that huge cycle over and over again so it sounds to me like you wanted just kind of a fresh way to work and this is yeah. a great what's cool is there are other ways to do it right and you can see if this is going to work mm -hmm. for you if it's going to work for your audience there are different things that you have to be concerned about now like you said you have to continually be creating new yeah. stuff if people are subscribing they want new content all the time right and so now that's your challenge right is coming up with it's probably not hard to come up with the ideas right but uh it, it's still just now you're on this release schedule that you have to hit right as, as much as possible yeah, but for sure, like uh, working full time now, I was in a position to doing it as a side hustle. Yeah, that makes it possible. I think this is your job. Hustle, it would have been too much. Right. And also, I've already created content, you know, for the blog. There's a lot of free stuff. There's a publication that I call pamphlets. I'm now at 30. These are small PDF guides about the specific Revit or BIM topic. Mm -hmm. I've released these by emails. So I've thought, well, I could do something like that. It's more of a chunk. So yeah. I don't think it's a problem. Like I'll just have to, to to schedule it and make sure that people get something fresh in you every month. And I've also realized, you know, with uh, people attention span and the time they have available to schedule, people love like these one hour content. Mm -hmm. So yeah. like I'm working to create a bunch of mini one hour course that at the end people feel like they've learned a lot, but it's not like a huge time commitment. It's interesting because the one hour thing, I think, is really more based around commute times and things like that. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's there's lunch and there's before work and there's after work. And I think that that time yeah. length and of course, uh, any of these can be paused and picked up later. Right. Um, so I'll be interested to hear from you from like a, a learning how to use a tool standpoint, if it's as effective as you think it is, because when I I've also made a course and I. I think I shared with this with you before, like my, I made it out of many modules and every module was made of many short videos because a short video could be consumed anywhere, right? Basically. And you could learn how to do something and it's not, it's not an yeah. hour commitment to figure out how to do something. And it's easier to go back and find what you're looking for later. If you're really good with your titles and keywords and things like that so that mm -hmm. when somebody if if they have to scrub through an hour video that's hard right to find what they were looking for and i know you're not specifically saying you're going to make one hour long videos and that but but the idea of these are the kinds of things we have to think of as people who make this kind of stuff is is how how is it going to be the most useful for that audience to to consume it and to find what they're looking for later like architecture like anything there's a lot of times that are not well, there's a lot of think, subjects that come across that are not well-timed. You get that email from that product manufacturer, you go to that lunch and learn, you see something on YouTube, and it's not something you're going to use now, but it's something you might want to use later, and you've got to be able to find it. And these are the kinds of things that we're kind of juggling as content creators as well, finding ways to make it easy for the audience to find or to go back and find something later that they we're barely paying attention to when they heard it the first time, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So 
let's talk about those courses that you've made. You said you're you're maybe on yeah. your last one, at least for the for the time being. So what did you start with, and then ha- what have you done and to get up to the Revit family one? Yeah, well, I, I was trying to have these super short names for my courses. So it's basics, design, and manage. These are the three courses I've released so far. And yeah, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Like mm-hmm. The first one, you know, I thought to myself, let's start with a beginner's course. It's going to... It's going to be a, a bit of practice for me to get started. Mm-hmm. Then the second one was, it's called design, but it, it's mostly about using Revit as a pre- presentation tool. Mm. And it was mostly for, from at work. I was, um, we had a few simple projects and there was always the SketchUp model and the Revit model. And then we'd always have to work double, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, or, you know, you've exported the plans from AutoCAD to Photoshop to add colors. Right, it was like, right. Well, Revit is not, it's not designed as a presentation tool, but it still has some really good features that if you know about them, it can Absolutely. do a lot. Right. And it can remove some of this boring back and forth. So I'm not saying that it's something you should use for all projects, but we had a few more simple projects where creating renderings from Revit, uh, creating presentation documents, color elevations, uh, stuff like that can be done um directly from Revit. So that yeah. was the purpose of the design course, like to showcase how to use Revit for a presentation. And the final one, manage, it's the 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 catch line is the the course I wish I had when I got started as a BIM manager in 2012. Mm. Because I spent and I, I'm sure people can recognize themselves in this, but spent evenings scrolling through message boards, obscure YouTube oh, videos, totally. yeah. trying trying to find what's the best way to organize a project browser. Try to piece it all How do together. I set up my filters? Right. What, what should I include in my template? What should right. I not include? And the, I couldn't find a single book about this or even a course. Or you could you could only find like tidbit pieces of little pieces of information here and there. And like over the years, I created this documentation. You know, some of them was uh, free pamphlets. But at some point, I realized that I've had, started to have a good chunk of information and with some extra research that I could put them all together for basically everything you need to know if you're being promoted to a BIM manager or you want to organize your firm with Revit. So it's not really about modeling. It's just how do you organize your project browser? How do you create a template? How do you keep healthy Revit models? Mm. How do you deal with phases? How do you deal with work sets? How do you deal with coordinates? That's a big one. And a little bit about Dynamo too. Just getting started, like to automate some boring stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's the one I released two years ago. And now the final one <laughs> that I hope to release, you, you know, my hope was to release it in September, but it's always late, always late. <laughs> yeah. Right. This one's going to be called uh, Herrick Families uh, because in a lot of my consulting work, I've been creating these really sophisticated families. And, mm. you know, I've already knew a lot about families, but I've learned even more. And I realized there are a lot of really obscure tools you can use. And just workflows, the way of creating families that can make them super efficient. And I call them Herrick families because uh, in a position to what I call poisonous families, if you have a few really bad families that you picked online from the internet on some manufacturer website, mm-hmm. they pollute your model. Mm-hmm. They make it more slow. They corrupt it. Mm-hmm. They confuse everybody. They'll take it down. Uh, they'll, yeah, <laughs> they'll take it. <laughs> Man, but, the stories. There's so many horror stories about that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, these are poisonous families. Yeah. And I'm teaching instead of heroic families. It's the opposite. Like they're, they're well-made, they're simple, they're efficient. 
to find the right balance between having you know enough options that they can uh, contain lots of information and options, but not being too much at the same time. I think it's right. easy to go overboard and try to oh, do yeah. too much in the same family. So yeah, lo lots of rules like uh, using formulas, using arrays, uh, talking about uh, doors and windows, and also preparing the family for the end user. That's the, one of the endpoints. Like, let's say I'm a Revit user. What do I want to see in a Revit family? Like to make it uh, intuitive, so I don't need really to have a guide. Just looking at the family, looking at the parameters, I should know how to use it. Yeah, I, I love that idea. Of what you said about you—you you can go too far, and I think a lot of people yeah. go way too far when it comes to this stuff. And it, that's probably one of the larger problems in the shift to BIM is just that it's just opened up the door to to not know when to stop, right? And and so people like you who are championing that balance that you're talking about mm -hmm. achieving in a model so that it performs well and graphically looks good and gives you useful yeah. data and it gives you the deliverable and all those things and achieving that balance for a lot of people that's that's a huge struggle in our industry so yeah. uh, that sounds like yeah, it's going to be a great course yeah that's why i call it uh, superpower and the name of the course is heroic families <laughs> heroic families i love it i love it well, what what are we missing here? I I would definitely want people to go check out the the live show on YouTube and subscribe to your channel so that they get notifications for when those come out. Of course, they can go back and look at the episodes that you've already recorded. And I know you do them in seasons, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got when does your next season start? And you can tell people where to go find it. Yeah, next season is going to be at um, next year. So I just finished one with uh, seven episodes. I, I, I like to do them in chunks. So maybe mm -hmm. there'd be about uh, 20 episodes a year or something like that. And when I finish with a season, I like to take a few weeks break. And sure. maybe I'll have a couple of one-off episodes. I usually do a year-end episode with uh, uh, Gavin Crump. I'll have to talk with him to see if he's up for it again. The Aussie BIM guru. Yeah. Um, Else, it's the next one is probably going to be January or February, and you can go on Revit Pure Revit channel to, uh, to subscribe and find okay. out when we've got new episodes. I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to to what who who you have on there because this is again great information and wisdom to share with the industry. And uh, YouTube's a great place to do it because of the visual aspect of the things that we're talking about. And then, of course, you've got the website, you've got the blog, people can sign up for your newsletter, you've got courses, you, you, you've got it all. I, I'll put links to all that yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, I've just realized we have one together. Like on, let me check the date, it's on November 29th. So right. I haven't announced it publicly yet, but it's going to be the next episode of Bimpure Live. Awesome. Uh, Looking forward to it. It's going to be good. And that'll be after Autodesk University. And I'm sure there's going to be a whole lot of things that happen between now and then. So we'll have plenty to talk yeah. about. Yeah, it's going to be good. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be good. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to our next live show together. And so we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes and where people can find you and follow along with what you're doing online. And until next time. Thanks a lot for hosting me. This was really fun. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co and I'll talk to you again next week.